So as I said, the last few weeks we've been speaking specifically about uh, different characters. Piet started with, with, uh, with Abraham last week, and um, I'm going to continue. But I thought what I need to do is, as I've been preparing and as the, as the message was shared last week, there were such foundational, wonderful truths that were shared about faith that I wanted to appropriate it in my own life as it challenged me. So for those that I see that maybe weren't here last week, um, I'm, it's for you and for, for all of us really. I just want to mention briefly some of the core truths that were shared last week as he, as he looked at Abraham um, and shared that with us. So just for those few seconds, just allow yourself to just be positioned and, and it'll, it might be new for some of us that are sitting with us. So the first awesome thought that we shared as he looked at the life of Abraham, he said this, which was just profound. He said that we should know that first God called Abraham to himself. He called Abraham to himself before he asked him to do anything. Firstly, God calls you and me into a relationship, an intimate relationship with him, where we share and we build on our relationship with God. And it's in that space of having this relationship with God that we can hear his call and his voice when he asks of us to step out in faith. It's not something we can do just because we feel we're good and we feel that's what we do. You need to have this relationship with the living God. And that's what Abraham demonstrates to us. And it's really from that point that when God calls, the big thought was that we need to respond with this thing as we call faith, which is different to when we respond to the way we know we need to do things, the way we act on certain things. It requires us to do something that is not that we cannot see. It requires us to step out in obedience because it is something that is really not, just not humanly possible. That's what differentiates faith from just doing things because we can do them. And God, when he calls us, and this is the reality, it stretches us. The truth that I found myself owning for myself that, Ken, how much of my life am I really walking in faith? How much of the things that I'm doing are things that I know I can do? Yeah, they're good things, but am I really walking by faith? Am I being stretched? Am I being able to experience what it means to be vulnerable where I cannot see the solution, but I'm trusting in a promise from God? And that's really um, the challenge that I found that the Lord was working in my heart as I've been pairing this message, and it was just like, boom, settled last week as Piet shared that, friends, faith requires something that is supernatural. And so the challenge that we have as a, as a church here today as it challenged me, I'm going to challenge you. As you sit there, how much of your life are you walking by faith? Are there things that you're doing, like Abraham, that he didn't know the answer? He trusted in a promise from God, and he was walking into those things, trusting in God. It stretches you. It's something that might just um, be crazy to the world, but you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to do this. That's what I was challenged with. And I know that we as a church have been challenged by that. It's one of the big truths that I thought just I wanted to just share with you as I share the rest of the message. And the second 
kind of big thing for me was that it is really something that is supernatural. The word, word I'm using supernatural is because it's impossible for me to do this humanly. It's something that God can only do. And there is that vulnerability because it is something that I just cannot do in my own strength. People who know me, um, I work in a space where I assess risks for a bank. And I'm involved with risks. So it's not natural for me not to have a plan to control and address risks. But this is what God calls us to do. And uh, boy, I love the fact that he puts us in these spaces where you really have to step out. And for me personally, yes, just that reality of knowing that this is something I really need God to do, to come through for, was such a beautiful thing for me personally. Now, I know that for many of you um, who have been part of Live for a while, you would have experienced this character that we have in this church, that we walk by faith. And there's testimonies like this morning as we shared about Oliver. Friends, when we were praying and when we heard the news a year ago and we saw Oliver and knew that, that he couldn't eat because he couldn't, his heart wasn't functioning. And every time they tried to do, to do an operation, he wasn't strong enough. And as we as a church were praying, as they were up front here, as we prayed for little Oliver, as on Tuesday evenings we were praying for him, it wasn't easy. It wasn't when you spoke to people and when you heard about things, you realized this was going to be something we need God to do. And so here we are today, just testifying of what God can do. He is a miracle maker. And this church that you, that you are part of is a church where we have many testimonies of this. And I thought, Father, as Piet was standing here, he stood here and he said, all of us in this church, he was here and he said, it is a miracle that we're living being in this church. And as I was sitting there, I felt the Lord say, Ken, you need to share this testimony that you've been part of in this church. You see, 11 years ago, uh, we were able to move into this church. The church before this was a Lego factory. You see the blue pillars? That's the Lego blue block pillars. There used to be machines here, and this used to be a Lego factory. But 11 years ago, we as a church moved into this building. We as a church experienced God's, we had a faith encounter with the Lord that stretches beyond anything that we could ever imagine. You see that three years before the 11 years, our previous building told us that we have to move out in two years because they were going to demolish the building. And so we as a church started trying to find a place to, to worship in. And there were moments where we found places where we thought this is exactly what God wants for us. We were excited. We were so new that this was what God wanted for us, but we got a no. And we, we wrestled with that because we knew we were running out of time. Um, and at one stage, we knew that we weren't fighting. This is two years into it, and we realized we haven't got a place to meet. And so we went back to the company, and they said, well, there's been a whole lot of objections to the fact that they want to break down the building. They've got another year before they're going to break down. There's no many other tenants, but you can still worship in this building. So we had three years. Um, we had many situations where... We, we thought we were there, people were excited to let us rent, but when they found out that we weren't part of the state church, they said, no, you're not able to rent. We've been through really tough times, but we trusted the Lord because we knew from his word that he says he would provide for our needs. We were a church that needed him. And so somewhere in October of the third year, we were told that we were able to rent this building. I can't explain how excited we were as a church. It was something so incredibly 
amazing. When we walked in this building, of course, we had visions of building rooms at the back, creating space for the children on that side. We were so excited. But then only was our faith uh, stretched because this is what happened. We were told as a church that, okay, you know, we want you to sign a seven-year lease for the building. Two of us signed for that, me and one of the other elders, uh, Wayne Rothman, who's not yet today, and he was an elder for quite a while with us, many years, and him and I signed personally for that. Uh, we didn't think about it, really. We thought about it afterwards, but um, uh, if it all went south, I don't think I'd be here today. And um, so, but besides that, we were told, well, we knew you didn't understand before you sign that you have to go to the Gemeinder and you have to proclaim and make a statement to the community that you want to be a church in this building. And we had experienced something in the previous building where a family was really upset because they bought a penthouse on top of one of the factories. Their first Sunday in the building, we made a joyful noise. And they realized they, built, they bought a place right next to the church. And we had some incredible moments with this family, uh, which were really tough. But uh, somehow God just provided. Um, and, um, but we knew what it meant to not have good neighbors. And we knew that in Switzerland, when you want to open a little store and someone objects to it, just, it doesn't just happen that you can start. It takes years. It takes a lot of money if there are objections. And they said to us, you have to put this notice in the Amsblatt for three weeks. And if there are any objections, only until the objections are, are resolved can you actually meet to be a church in this building. Our hearts were just sunk. And we thought, well, can't we just wait on the, on the signing of the, of the contract? The, the commander said, no, you can only make the announcement if you actually are tenants on the building. You can't do it the other way around. So as a church, we decided in faith, we're going to do this. And so we signed the lease and we put the announcement in the Amsblatt. Friends, as a church, we used to meet downstairs in the cold and pray. We walked along this road as far as we could to go around it, praying to the Lord. We spent time just reminding ourselves of how the Lord was faithful in little things and big things in the places that we were before. The moments where the Lord helped us. Yaku was part of that. And, um, and we, we experienced this reality and this vulnerability. I remember personally on my walks as I was praying and just reminding the Lord, Lord, please, we need you. Because you say in your word, in, in Philippians chapter 4 verses 19, um, that you will provide all our needs according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is a promise that God gives us, and we needed him. Um, but it was, it was scary. It stretched us completely. Every week when we had to go and ask the community if there was any, any um, things in, from the Amsblatt, and they said no, it kind of started building. And by the third week, when we went and found out there were no objections, it is hard to put into words what we felt like as a church. You must understand that knowing that, we knew that we knew that we knew that God was for us and nothing that came afterwards would kind of just stand in our way. Yes, there was the Gemeinder and the fire brigade who wouldn't let us build in certain areas and we had to go through a whole process of getting the realities of able to meet with this number in this church and there's a whole lot of things but we knew, he was like, we're bulletproof, throw it at us. God has done this before, we'll get through this one. So this is the reality of walking by faith. Friends, it was tough, but it built a character within our church, which is something that God does. And if I say it was easy, it wasn't easy. If I say we were stretched beyond thoughts, 
I couldn't believe that we could be stretched like that. But here we are, and we're experiencing this miracle today. And we experienced it again in this last year, as I shared last, last week about you know, seeing the financial statement, the balance sheet and income statement for last year, knowing what we went through after COVID. Many of us lost their jobs. People were, were, were stretched in, in several ways, but there we are, celebrating that we've been able to, be, to tithe in this place and be part of a church that, that provided in so many ways. To hear the stories from men who went to the men's retreat, um, which were blessed by men saying, I, you know, I just want to bless somebody there, knowing that these guys had never experienced a men's retreat before. But because of the heart of this church, men were moved. That's what God's about. But it requires us to be obedient when God speaks to us, individually, in the small things and the big things. And truly, it's something where you are going to be stretched. Now, Abraham was stretched. And I want to just quickly go into his call and Piet mentioned it, but if you look, it starts for us in, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, um, where what happens is you've got to understand who Abraham was and why it was something that stretched him. So Abraham comes from a place called Haran, which is now in modern-day Turkey. His father was Terah, who was one of Seth's, which was Noah's sons, and there's a whole lot of genealogy that brings us down to where Abraham is the son of Terah who decided to go to Canaan. But he ended up on the way finding this place called Haran and he just settled there. It was good. He was wealthy. They had accumulated all kinds of things. And the, the dream of Canaan just died with the father. And then Abraham, it says Abraham, his wife Sarah, who became Sarah, and, and Lot, who's the son of Terah's brother, was with him. And all their household and all their servants. And chapter 11 ends with Terah dies at the age of 205. And then chapter 12 begins with this incredible statement. It's the call that God does to Abraham. I'd love to just read it. I think we have it up front. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make you your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, will, will dishonor you, and, I will, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was he called to do from a place of comfort and coziness? He was called to do something supernatural. His wife was barren. He was called to say that if you go to a land that, I'm, that you don't know, that, that I will show you, step out in darkness, I will make you a nation from a barren wife and all the families of the earth will be blessed and then we read in verse 4 that it says and Abraham obeyed and followed God so he really did have to step away from something that was really huge and move into a place that he didn't know and that's that's what what Abraham does and so now as we just journey a little bit further we see what happens in the rest of chapter 12 we hear then that he moves from that area, and the first place we read about him getting to in Canaan was Shechem. Now Shechem is in the north of, 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 of Canaan, or the, Israel is close to Galilee, and it says that he made an altar to the Lord, he called on the name of the Lord, and in verse 7 it says this, God answers him and says this to him. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, your offspring I will give to this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, 
who had appeared to him. Friends, if God appears to you and says that to you, you have faith to move on and do things. It's based on this promise, the word that we hear in our hearts that God calls us to do, that enables us to do things. God appears to him and says, I will make your offspring and give this land to you. From there, he moves on to Bethel. And that's a little bit south, and I've got a map I'd like to show you about that. And so I hope you can see it. Uh, this is me giving my best at uh, snagging things out of the internet. Um, I was going to have a pointer, but I asked around and uh, no one had one. But Shechem is at the top there. You see there's the Sea of Galilee. Um, he moved down, and there's this famous road to this place called Bethel. You see that in the middle there. It's almost like a cross. Now, what makes Bethel so important and so, so strategically incredible Bethel was a high place. It was at 886 meters above sea level. If you see there, there's a, there's a rift valley there. You can see it very nicely. It's the Jordan Rift Valley. Um, it's called Levathan. In, in, it's just what it's called, this rift valley. And you'll see there's a whole range of mountains there on your, on your left and my right. And of course, from there, it goes down to the plateaus of the sea. But, but, but Bethel was on the edge of this rift valley. And from there, you can see the rift valley. You can see the Jordan Valley. You could see the plains that run from there, and you could also see the other side, which is leading up to, to the sea. And of course, this specific place um, was, was sought over through all the, all the, all the generations afterwards. Um, the Israel kings built altars to calves there. Jacob built an altar there. Uh, in the Byzantine period, the Crusaders built a church there. The Moors kind of built a church on the church. Um, everybody who ever wanted to be involved with this specific little part of the land, this was a very strategic place. And the reason is because it's a trade route. Anybody coming from Turkey or from Greece or from Mesopotamia or from those areas would come down this route all the way to Egypt. And similarly there, you go from the east to the west, from Jericho to Joppa. And it's kind of the road that Jesus would have walked on, Jacob would have walked on. It's a famous trade route. And Bethel is right there in the middle. And it's in this place that we read that Abraham went and prayed and called on the Lord. And so the, the, this passage that I want to share specifically with us is found in, um, in Genesis chapter 13. And this is where we hear, and this is what I wanted to share specifically about. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want you to find it out in the scriptures. Um, how the Lord specifically shows us another aspect of what it means to walk by faith. So let's, let's read this together. And uh, this is from verse 1 all the way to verse 12. And it says, Abram went up from Egypt... He and his wife had all that he had, and Lot with him, with him into the Negev. Negev is the desert in the below area. Now Abram was very rich with, in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev to far as Bethel, to the place where, he, in, where, he, where his tent had been in the beginning. So he'd been there. Sorry, I missed out on something. This is quite important. Just pause there. In chapter 12, he gets to Bethel. He then decides to do something completely on his own strength because they had a drought. He goes all the way to Egypt, and it's an absolute disaster. He trusts himself. He makes some ridiculous decisions um, for him and his wife, and the, and the Lord rescues him. And he basically gets kicked out of, out of Egypt by Pharaoh, and he ends up coming back up via the Negev, back to Bethel. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 13. Sorry, that wasn't part of the plan, but I was supposed to go there first. But in the end, he's back, and I, there's a whole story there. But in essence, it shows us the heart of Abraham, just human like ourselves, 
although he's had incredible promises, God appears to him. He decides to do things when things get tough and there's a drought and he makes his own plan and knows that there's, and a lot of Canaanites actually went there during the drought time because Egypt had water and had food. And, um, and that was an absolute disaster. But he ends up back at this place, chapter 13, where he sits there and he's actually um, before God and he calls on the name of the Lord. Let me read this as well now. And then he says, and he journeyed from the Negev, which is the desert, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, which is basically, you've got this high place and you've got Ai, which is a, is, a, is a place, and on this side you've got Bethel, the place where he actually, um, the, the old town. And then it goes on to say, um, uh, and, a, and Lot w- went with Abraham and his flocks and the herds and the tents. Um, okay, let me just start again from verse 4. It says, And Abraham called on the name of the Lord, very importantly. The thing is, this relationship that he has with God. He called on the name of the Lord. And of course, it mentions that Lot was with him, and Abraham also had flocks and herds and tents, so the, the land could not support both of them, dwelling together, for the possession was so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in this land. And now here it comes. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. And I've made this bold. It is not the, it's not the whole land before you. Separate yourselves if, from me. If you take the left hand, and I will take the right hand. If you take the right hand, and I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley, as well as the water everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden, and like the land of Egypt, um, in the direction of Zorah, which is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose to himself all of the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Aram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities in the valley and moved to the tents of Sodom. If you can show me the map again. Friends, Lot and Aram demonstrate characteristics or characters that is mentioned in different places in the Bible. It's the characters of those that are givers and those that are takers. I want to speak a little bit about what the taker saw. Because, I don't know if any of you have ever been, some of you have, to the, to, the, to the land of Israel. I've been there twice. And for me, that's always an incredible sight. As if you travel from the coastal areas and you get to the edge of the escarpment of the Rift Valley and the, the, the dryness and the aridness of where you are driving and then you look down as you get to the edge and you see this incredible valley which is full and green and there's fruit and it's just... It's most probably just a, a sample of what it would have looked like before at the bottom you see where Sodom and Gomorrah is. Um, that whole valley would have been something to behold. And it's something that, that, that God has just blessed this country with. And I can just imagine the sight from Bethel as he looks over everything. Abraham says, if you choose the left, I'll choose the right. If you choose the right, I choose the left. And the taker character says, well, I'll take all of that. The fact that we've got to put this into context of someone who's walking by faith. 
Remember, the Lord appears to him beforehand with a promise where he says, I will give this off, your offspring all this land. God appears to him and says that to him. He's messed up in Egypt, but he remembers God's promise. But it is an outrageously generous faith act to do. I was thinking it through and thought, well, what would Ken have done? Ken being an engineer and a risk guy, I would have said, well, why don't you take anything north of Bethel or anything south of Bethel so that at least I get half of this beautiful valley? That's kind of the thing that I would think, just mitigating the risk. But that's not what God calls him to do. He gives it to, to God to just lead him, and he gives this incredible opportunity to someone who he knew Lot's heart, having been journeyed with him. And Lot, of course, decides to take everything that is of the Jordan Valley. Here's the truth that I'd love to share with each of us. Generosity is not just a nice character. It is at the heart of what it means to walk by faith. Generosity is a way when you walk by faith. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. When C.S. Lewis was asked, what, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? He says, it's kind, of, it's kind of giving. God has poured out his generosity to you in Jesus, and you are called to respond in faith and generosity to others. It's kind of a giving. That's what, what Christianity is. The verse that comes to heart in my mind is, yes, it's a kind of giving. Because in John three sixteen it says, so God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life friends this is the heart of what it means to walk by faith with christ there's there's a part of you that needs to be outrageously generous but it stretches you because when god calls you to be generous it's not like we could do it we can do things in our own strength we've got a plan and we cover all the bases that's not what God calls us to do. There'll be moments when he speaks to you to be generous where you'll know in your heart, Ooh, but Lord, I, I don't want to give that person that because I don't like that person because that person has hurt me. The Lord says, I want you to love him. I want you to show him me through doing this act. It's outrageously generous, but it requires something of us when we do it. Abraham demonstrates this characteristic to us. And the beautiful thing is, that there's so many examples of this in the Bible. The word is full of what it means to be generous. David in the Psalms has this incredible way of showing us exactly what it means to be generous. Um, the Psalms are full of it. I love Psalm 37 because that Psalm specifically just speaks about, you know, he uses this contrast. He uses the righteous and the wicked. And he says, um, he says this about the wicked. He says the wicked borrows and never returns. And he says, the righteous give and give and give. And he uses this theme in many of the Psalms. Psalm 37 is a Psalm that Christine and I uh, use as our wedding Psalm. And I love that Psalm because there's so many of the same theme that comes through. Um, it says in that Psalm that, that God loves and delights in the hearts of those who are generous. He says there in that Psalm that, and you have a chance to read it, he says, those that are generous are always generous and lend freely. He goes on to say that um, it will change you as you walk this way. Um, and you will be blessed 
as you do that. And we love that psalm. There's wonderful psalms in God's, in God's word where he describes what it means to be generous. I encourage you, if you want to hear God call you, go and read Psalm 37. It is an incredible blessing of a psalm. Um, but also Jesus demonstrates this to us. And this is what I'd love to share with us as you kind of see how Abraham demonstrated this wonderful character of, of, of the Lord. Jesus has come and just affirms that to us as he shares this with us in Luke chapter 6. If you want to read Luke chapter 6, most of you know it about when you get stuck on the right, what you've got to do. And I love reading the Psalms in the message because it just kind of speaks into my heart. And, and Luke chapter 6 from verses 12 all the way to verse 35 is all about God saying, I want you to be generous. And what it means to be generous, um, if you look at Luke, and I just want to summarize it in Luke uh, chapter 6 verses uh, 30 and 31. I'm going to say it in, in the message because to me it just summarizes what God says. And you'll know it from, from reading it maybe in the other versions. But he says, if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant's life. No more payback. Live generously. And then he goes on to say, here's the simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Wow. But there's the other side of whenever you hear Jesus speaking in his word, there's a reality of the truth as well that he doesn't shy away from. Because the Lord says very clearly in the verses between 20 and, and, and 25 that if you demonstrate this, there will be hard things as well. In those verses he says, to practice this generosity, know that there will be poverty, there will be hunger, there will be weeping, there will be hated, you'll be hated, excluded, insulted and rejected. You know, that, that is the truth and that's why it stretches you in these moments when you're asked to be, be generous. Because it's not something always nice. Because it is ridiculous to the world. And there'll be people, there'll be moments where you will not be just loved and hugged because you've been generous. And I love the fact that Jesus just tells us everything. This is what it means to walk by faith. And friends, that's why it challenges you and me when I said this in the beginning of the message. How much of our lives are really walked by faith? Or how much of it are we doing good things, but it's kind of because we know we can. And that's what's been speaking to me as I've been allowing this word to speak into my heart. Yes, there's wonderful things that we've been doing in faith, but there's so many things still that I'm kind of covering the bases uh, for myself. And I love what the Lord says to us. Um, I wrote this also down um, in... Luke 6 verses 21, he tells us after all of that, that this is what satisfies him. And this is, will give you joy in the morning. He says in verse 21, he says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. He says, Blessed are you who are weeping now, for you shall laugh. And the other one says, you will laugh in the morning. Because that's the promise that the Lord gives us. When we are facing these things and walking by faith. It's really for me, um, and I, I wanted to just really quote this, because this is exactly what Jesus does. He tells us to imitate the Father. He doesn't ask us to do something extra. He says to us by his example that 
this is how we should imitate the generosity of God. Um, help and give without expecting return. You'll never, and he says, I promise you, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards you and me. He's generous and he's gracious. That's what we ask to do. And it is a faith thing. It's a way of faith to be generous. And so really, what I wanted to ask you, if you've never or you're not really stepping out in faith, this is one way in which God enables us to do it a little bit easier. Because there are many moments where the Lord will prompt you, and you'll know that it's the Lord, to be generous in small things and in big things. And the world will see it, people will know it, and they will talk about the fact that this is something that is so not normal. I was speaking to Bruno this morning, and I was just so reminded of it in our church, how there's been so many moments that people have testified about experiencing God's generosity for us here as a community. From the little things, when friends or people come and visit for the first time, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked by my friends, but who pays for all the cappuccinos? And it's that moment where, where you can say, you know, this body pays for that. It's a delight to be able to not ask you to pay for your coffee. There's people that would come in and, and, and usually, you know, they quickly work out, but this doesn't seem right. Who, how does this work? Because this is a big place, and, and I know what it costs for rent in Switzerland, and this building, and you can see how the brain's working. And, and it's wonderful to be, able to, to be able to, in that moment, kind of just let them explain that this is what it means to walk by faith, that God has called people to sacrifice and give of themselves to enable us to be a blessing to many. Those are the things where God shows the world when people are generous and in little ways and in big ways. And, and I'm just asking you to allow God and spend time with Him that He can call to you. Psalm 37, Luke 6. And you will be surprised what the Lord would prompt you. A lady down the road, somebody somewhere, to just do something outrageously generous. And watch how it will bless them, but I'm telling you it will bless you more. Because that is what God is about. They experience Jesus as we act in faith. Because it is a supernatural thing. Um, there's an incredible verse that the Lord shares. I shared it in words, but I don't know if we can just go to it from Matthew chapter 19, verses uh, 26. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. As a church, we held on to this because we knew that all things are possible with God. The things that we could do with our physical hands and the plans and the actions, it just was impossible. And it's similar to us sitting in this church today. This year, God is challenging us to be a church of faith, to do things and act by faith. And I really want to just encourage each of you this morning to allow the Lord to stretch you. Um, and let us testify about that. Because it is what God calls us to do. But again, just going back to the beginning, it starts from Him reaching out to you and calling you by name and you having a relationship with Him. 
And it requires you to hear God's call. The Holy Spirit prompts you. And the, may you know that it's the Lord prompting you because something inside you says, oh, no, Lord, please not me. Pick someone else. Why me? Then you know, okay, this is the Holy Spirit because it's so unnatural and out of my normal comfort zone. I invite you to hear what God is saying and walk by faith.